All right. Well, good morning. It's good to see you. Hey, if we haven't met, my name is Blake Sherman, and I'm the young adult minister here. And it's always such an honor to get to speak with you. Uh, we are wrapping up our series in Matthew. So we're actually going to be in Matthew 28. So if you have your Bibles, you can start flipping there. So we're going to be wrapping it up uh, this week. And then next week, we're going to be moving into Advent. And so um, that's going to be really cool. Make sure you're here for that. We're excited about it. So, um, you know, as I've been preparing for this passage, I've been thinking about growing up, you know, in history class, we would always learn about these really important events, and they were kind of catalytic events that changed the world, that had ongoing effects in the world that we live in today, and that's why we learn about that history. So, you know, we learn about things about, you know, the assassination of the Archduke and how that led to World War I. We learn about World War II and the Holocaust, you know, um, Pearl Harbor, and the involvement of the U.S. in the war, uh, the assassination of John F. Kennedy, which was November 22nd today. Um, and, you know, there's going to be even recent events uh, that will continue to be in the history books. September 11th um, will be in the history books. I think iPhones will be in the history books. Um, these things that have an effect on the world, COVID-19, this ongoing effect. But what if I told you that there was an event that happened 2,000 years ago. And unlike all of these events, uh, this one didn't start a war, it ended a war. And that it not only had effects for today or tomorrow, but for eternity. That it not only changed the world, but it had a cosmic effect. Of course, I'm talking about the death and resurrection of Jesus. Um, that it has this mind-blowing, long-reaching effect that we can't even really fathom, but we do our best to talk about it Every day we try to proclaim it. And so um, kind of the challenge coming to this passage, because we're going to be talking about the resurrection, is that, you know, you know, the entire New Testament is grappling with this one event. It's still dealing with the ongoing effects, and it's trying to grapple with it. And every Sunday, we preach about the ongoing effects of the death and resurrection of Jesus. And I was actually looking at a commentary, and one of the commentaries list, uh, tried to provide a list of the theological insights we can gain from this passage, and it was like three pages long. And I was like, well, I can't get up there and be like, I have 30 points today. You know, like, so I was trying to figure out, like, how do I even come at this? Because it's so far reaching and it is defining of the new life that we have in Jesus. And so I decided what we're going to do is just going to make our way slowly through this event. Like, just put ourselves in the story and just imagine what it would have been like to be there and see what questions come out of the text for us. All right, you excited? I'm excited. All right, so we're going to be in Matthew 28, verse 1. Uh, if you are new to following Jesus or new to the scripture, just to give you the context, Jesus had been crucified. Joseph of Arimathea had donated his family tomb so Jesus could be placed in it. They put him in there. They rolled a stone in front of it. And then they sent guards to guard the tomb to make sure that no one stole the body. Okay, let's dig in. We're going to go through this slowly. After the Sabbath, at dawn on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to look at the tomb. Let's stop right there. They're like, wow, we are going through this really slowly. So we're going to stop right there. Um, let's put ourselves in their shoes. What was happening in that moment? Um, clearly, we don't know what they were thinking or what they were feeling, but we know enough about what was surrounding them in the area. So Mary Magdalene and the other Mary, which wouldn't it stink to be known as the other Mary, but Mary Magdalene and the other Mary are making their way towards the tomb. You wake up early in the morning, and what we learn from the Gospel of Mark 
is that the reason they were going to the tomb is they were going to anoint the body with spices. And actually, we read in the Gospel of Mark, they're on the way and they're walking and they're talking about, like, how are we going to get in the tomb? Because the tomb would have been sealed with a stone. And they're like, how are we going to get past the stone? So that's what we read in Mark. And in Matthew, we just know that they're going towards a tomb. Either way, they believe they're walking to a tomb. They're, they're going to, to deal with a lifeless body. They're walking towards what they believe is a corpse. And we know, like we know they're in for a great surprise, but let's just put ourselves in their shoes right there. They are walking towards a corpse, walking towards a tomb. You know, I imagine, you know, if we woke up early in the morning, we were walking towards the tomb, we would have been thinking about how everything had led up to this point. You know, when you think back, everything we've studied in Matthew, I mean, Jesus came and he fed the 5,000. He walked on water. He drove demons out of people. He could see into people's hearts and speak into, into it in a way that no one else could. And everything was leading up to this point. And then Jesus got arrested. And then the disciples, this loyal band of followers, all deserted him. They all scattered. And then at the trial, Jesus was eerily silent as they accused him. And then he was crucified. And on the cross, he said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And now they're walking towards a tomb. This man that they had called Messiah, the Christ, the Savior, the one that was going to change everything. Now they're walking towards a tomb. And, you know, and I think sometimes we, we miss what a crucifixion is because we grow up with it around our necks and on our walls that we're just like, yeah, the cross, Jesus died for us. But we miss the significance of the cross in the day that they lived. You know, a Roman crucifixion was specifically designed to degrade and dehumanize a person. That what they wanted to do is anyone that was being crucified, they wanted to heap so much shame on the person that if you follow that person, you would have shame on you and you would know that this person, this is what they amounted to. They wanted to make it as if you never even existed that you weren't fit to be considered part of the human species. This is how it was designed. It was not just an execution. It was an advertisement saying, don't follow this person. Look what happened. It was a public announcement saying, this person is not worth following. And actually, they're not even fit to be considered part of the human race. That's what happened to their Savior. This is what's in their head when they're walking towards the tomb. This is just the humiliation that just took place with Jesus. And you know, it wasn't just um, the authorities that did this. It's not like a little court thing happened and it just went wrong and so he ended up being crucified. No, everyone would have participated in it. Fleming Rutledge, who has a book on the crucifixion, she said this. She said, in a sense, crucifixion was a form of entertainment. Everyone understood that the specific role of the passerby was to exacerbate the dehumanization and degradation of the person who had thus been designated to be a spectacle. Crucifixion was cleverly designed, we might say diabolically designed, to be an almost theatrical enactment of the sadistic and inhuman impulses that lie within human beings. You have to understand, this wasn't just a random court. It was the religious authorities of the day. It was the government authorities of the day. Uh, the way that Dr. Sands put it last week, it, it was the people of God, the best of us. It was the best of us that rejected God. Um, and not just the best of us, but all of us. That's what Fleming Rutledge is saying, is if you were there, if we were there during this day, we would have played our part in the crucifixion by when we walk by, we would participate in degrading and dehumanizing the person on the cross. 
we would have looked at him and just spat out mockery at him to make sure that they know that they aren't welcome. This is the moment they're walking in as they walk to the tomb. You know, I don't, I don't know what you're going through. I don't know what you're facing, but um, the, the question I kind of have just leaping out from this text is, do you feel like you're walking to a tomb? Do you feel like you're walking to a tomb? Do you feel like this is the end of hope? Because that's probably maybe how they felt. We don't know, but that was, that's how I would feel. That this is the end of hope. It all led up to this. You feel like you've hit a dead end and this is the end. There are those of us that we just kind of feel right now like we've been rejected by God and by other people. There's those of us that we are dealing with sin that seems so suffocating that we're wondering if we can go another day. There's others of us that we have this mental illness and we've been grappling with it, but for all the prayer and all the medication and all the therapy, it just seems like God isn't winning. And it just seems like darkness is all around us. You know, the crazy thing about that is that for all that darkness, all of that, that stuff that we can't even fathom, we don't even have words for it, Jesus took that on himself. That's what we know about this moment, is that he takes the moment where you're walking towards a tomb, where there's only despair, where there's only destruction in front of you, only sin, only shame, and he takes that on himself on the cross, and he crucifies it, and he puts it to death. I like the way that uh, the apostle Paul puts it in Galatians. He says, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, cursed is everyone who is hung on a pole. This is the crazy thing, is that for all the curse that was in front of them, maybe all the curse that is in front of you, all the death and destruction and sin, Jesus took that on himself. And though they might be walking towards a tomb in despair, even that moment he took on himself. You know, there is a phrase uh, that has kind of gone on through my entire prayer life. And I didn't realize that there was a pattern in my prayer life until I was reflecting on this passage. But going all the way back to undergrad, whenever I would have moments where I just felt like spat out by the world. I don't know if you've ever felt like that before, but you just felt rejected by God and by other people. Whenever I have those moments, whenever my sin felt so great, whenever I was grappling with depression, whenever I just felt alone and that I couldn't lift this darkness in front of me, I would utter these words in my prayers and I've realized now that it's a pattern and I would say, even this moment, I'd say, God, even this moment, I know that you died for it. Even this small moment, I know you died for it. There's nothing, there is no darkness, there is no pain, there is no destruction that is outside of your mercy and your grace. You took it all upon you on the cross. You became the curse so I could be redeemed, even in this moment. And so I don't know what you're going through. I really don't. God knows, and I just want you to know that the thing that you're going through, even in that moment, even in this moment, this small thing or this huge thing, I don't know what it is, but even in that moment, he has taken it upon himself and he has crucified it and put it to death. You might feel like you're walking towards a tomb, but even as you walk towards the tomb, that moment is on Christ. He has taken it upon himself. Now, you might think, okay, well, that's good that Christ is present with me in these dark moments, but 
Can he restore hope? Well, I'm so glad you asked. Let's keep reading. Verse 2, they're in for a great surprise. There was a violent earthquake, for an angel of the Lord came down from heaven and going to the tomb, rolled back the stone and sat on it. His appearance was like lightning and his clothes were white as snow. The guards were so afraid of him that they shook and became like dead men. The angel said to the women, don't be afraid, for I know that you're looking for Jesus who was crucified. He is not here. He has risen, just as he said. Come and see the place where he lay. Man. So what happens, there's this incredible earthquake. An angel of the Lord appears. His appearance is like lightning. His clothes are white as snow. And then he rolls back the stone and just casually sits on it, which is pretty awesome. And then there are these guards there, and they think they're guarding a corpse. But what they find out is that that man has been resurrected, and they become like dead men. They become corpses. They faint. This is what's happening. It's this huge turn of events. You know, and what the angel says are these great lines. He says, he's not here. He is risen just as he said. I was telling my wife that this passage uh, is just so overwhelming, and I was banking on these words being the effect. (laughs) That those words can stir a human soul. He isn't here. He's risen just as he said. You know, and a lot of times what we do with the resurrection passage is we turn it into like apologetics. And we want to show you how we know for a fact that Jesus rose from the dead. And I understand there's a place for that. But you know what the biblical narrative would say to your skepticism? Come and see the place where he lay. You might be walking in sin. You might be walking in death. But come and see the place of death and see that he's overcome it. He is alive. Amen? Amen. Come and see the place where he lay. He's, he's alive. And this changes everything. And this is the invitation that we have to us is, I don't know what you're walking towards. I don't know what you're dealing with, but you are going to arrive to a place and you call upon the name of Jesus and you will see that he has taken the curse of death upon himself and now new life is offered to you. It's this great reversal that he will suffer everything that we should have suffered and he gives us what we didn't deserve. Look at this. This is from Andrew Murray. This is a book on prayer, but it actually uh, really speaks well to this moment. He says, Our Lord always wins for us the opposite of what he suffered. He was bound that we might go free. He was made sin that we might become the righteousness of God. He died that we might live. He bore God's curse that God's blessing might be ours. He endured the not answering of his prayer that our prayers might find an answer. Man, you know, I was talking with Terry Graham recently and I haven't been in ministry that long. I've been working at a church for a little over 10 years, but I was talking with Terry just about hard ministry experiences. And, you know, Terry is a wealth of wisdom and knowledge, and we're just kind of sharing all these really hard moments. And after a while, we just kind of laughed and said, you know, so much of being a minister, and I would say so much of being a Christian, is going to dark places and not knowing what to do or what to say. Like, isn't that so defining of a world? There's just brokenness and there's pain, and maybe it's in your life. Maybe you have a brokenness and pain in your life that you don't even have words for, and I wouldn't even have words for. It's just that's so secret and that, that hidden and that dark. But we're talking about how, as ministers, we still have to go to those places. 
We still have to go and sit with people in those dark moments because we know that Christ bore those moments. He took those moments upon himself and he is present in those moments. No matter what darkness or pain or sin, he took it on himself. So we will go sit there and be present knowing that Christ was crucified for even in that moment. But I guarantee you, even as we sit in that moment, we might not have the words to say. We're searching for a word. We're searching for a word because that moment doesn't have the final word. The death, destruction, and sin doesn't have the final word. You know what the word is? He isn't here. He's risen just as he said, come and see the place where he lay. This is the good news that we live into every day. And the thing that I just like, it rocks my mind is that what Jesus did is he took a cross, which was a symbol of a curse, and he turned it into a symbol of blessing to humanity. So when we look upon it, we don't feel hopeless like people used to, but we actually have hope. The difference between a follower of Jesus and the world is that the world sees a cross and they say, isn't that heartbreaking? Isn't that sad? That innocent man died. It's so sad. And you know what Christians do? We say, it is sad. But did you hear about the resurrection? It's not, it's not that we don't see the pain and the suffering. We see it. You know, sometimes Christians get branded as these like naive optimists and that we don't look at the real world. No, we see the real world because we're looking at the cross and we see our Savior and he took everything upon himself. So there is no pain. There is no suffering that we can't look at. The reality is we see beyond the suffering and we see the resurrection. That is the reality that we live in. We, we have to embrace this. This is the hope that we have, and it is secure, and it's eternal, and it's not going away, ever. And so the invitation to you right now is, you might feel like you're walking towards a tomb. You might feel covered in sin. You might feel pushed down by your middle. I don't know what it is. You might feel like you're walking towards a tomb, but guess what? Christ isn't there. And what he's inviting you to do is to put that darkness on the cross, to trust that he did die on the cross and put an end to death and walk into the new life that he has for you. He bore the curse so we could receive the blessing. So we could be reconciled. That is the good news. And we could end there, but I just want to go a little bit further. All right. Verse seven, let's, let's finish up with what the angel says. Then go quickly and tell his disciples he has risen from the dead and is going ahead of you into Galilee. There you will see him. Now I have told you. I love this verse because it's not like they go to the tomb and they're like, hey, good news. He isn't here. He's risen. So go home and chill. You're good. Everything's, everything's restored. It's going to be great. He doesn't, they don't do that. He says um, he wants you to get the disciples and then head to Galilee. He's gone on ahead of you. He's gone on ahead of you. And so what they're hearing is, no, actually, this wasn't the end of hope, that hope's been restored, and now there's going to be an ongoing ministry, and he wants me to participate in it. He wants me to have action in it, to have activity in it. And he goes ahead of me. And I just want you to know, if you're a follower of Jesus, he still goes ahead of you. He still calls you to all kinds of Galilees. Ephesians 2.10, for we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for the purpose of good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk into them. There are good things in front of you, and because of the new life that Jesus has won, you are now his masterpiece, his workmanship, and there is good things that he wants you to walk into. He's calling you right now. Hope isn't finished. Hope is still on the move. The kingdom is advancing, and he's inviting you to be a part of it. 
But as I say that, I know that there are people in this room and online, and you're thinking, that's really good. But, you know, I, I just feel like I've, I've known Jesus and I've just walked away from him so many times. I've just given up so many times. I've heard the message of hope, but I've just, I just can't seem to get it together. I feel like I've had my shot. You know, one of the coolest things about this passage is that what the angel says is that Jesus' first command is, go get the disciples. And if you remember, last we saw the disciples was in Matthew 26 and Jesus was arrested. And what did the disciples do? They deserted him. They were deserters. In my mind, reading the text, there are no disciples. There are only deserters. But what Jesus is saying is, go get those deserters, call them my disciples, and tell, me, tell them to come meet me. You might feel like a deserter. In your mind, you might think you're a deserter. I just want you to know the invitation remains the same. He's calling you. I've gone ahead to prepare something for you. Just go meet me. He's calling you to meet him. Are you going to go meet him? This is the grace and the mercy of our God. That the things that looked like darkness, the things that looked like we deserted, the things that looked like a curse, he has taken upon himself. And now we can have new life. Now, um, we're going to close here in prayer in a second. But I just want to talk to two groups of people. Um, there's a response here. And I just want to say, if you've never known Jesus, um, and you just have never known that hope that we're talking about, maybe you feel like you're walking towards a tomb. If that's you, all you have to do is look upon the cross and trust that it's on the cross. Whatever that darkness, whatever that sin, whatever that suffering is, trust that it's on the cross and then trust that he has one new life for you and you can step into it. That's all you have to do. You just pray that to God. Say, God, I trust you. I want to do that. And you can start following him, walk into that new life. He's prepared something for you. Now, there's others of us that we're deserters. And I don't have the theology for this. Like, I don't, I'm not saying like you never followed Jesus or something like that. I just know there are people here that know Jesus, but they have given up the hope that he has won for them. And I just want you to know, he still calls you to be his disciple. He still wants you to be a part of the work that he's doing. The question is, will you meet him there? He's gone ahead. He's prepared good things for you to walk into. It's just a matter of not, whether or not we will do it. Our God's good. So I'm gonna, I'm gonna close in prayer. And I just wanna say after the service, if you... If you're dealing with one of those two things, you're in one of those groups of people, would you come and talk to me or Dr. Sands? We'll be up at the front. If you're online, you can just put a message in and we'll reach out to you. Um, the reality is, is that the kingdom is advancing and we're a part of it. And we want you to be a part of it as well. Would y'all pray? Heavenly Father, Lord, we love you. And we thank you so much for your son. That he would die a death that, that I deserve, that we deserve. And he would raise to new life, God, so, so I could, so we all could. God, I pray that right now by your Holy Spirit, you be moving in this room. And God, if no one here or online even listen to me at all, God, would you just 
Let your words, your scriptures settle into their souls right now. He's not here. He is risen, just as he said. Would that truth become so evident to us? Death has been defeated. Life has been won. And by your grace and your mercy, you call every single one of us into that. God, who am I? Who are we? That you would prepare things ahead of us for us to participate in. That you want, you want our participation. God, so often we've been the deserter, so often we've run away, but you still hold out hope because of your death and resurrection. All praise, honor, and power belong to you, God. Be glorified now. In your name we pray. Amen.